0: Please stand for the reading of God's word. I will be reading from Psalm 58, which is on page 477 in the Bibles around the room. It will also be on the screen. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No. In your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, so that it does not hear the voice of the charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of young lions, O oh Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn born child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, help us to realize that we cannot defeat evil and make wrongs right but you, O Lord, can deliver justice. Thank you for your justice and mercy. I pray that you will open up our minds and our hearts and our souls to hear the message that you are going to give us today through Pastor Kyle. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Right, Isaiah. Nice work. You guys ready for an angry psalm today? Who's angry? I almost wore my red shirt, but I thought it'd be over the top. Uh, My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to be able to preach to you from the Bible. If you're a guest, welcome to Living Stones. Uh, We are a church that loves the Bible, and we love God. And um, as uh, Tyler said earlier, uh, we're starting tomorrow, this 40 days of prayer. So I really want everybody to sign up for that. It's a great opportunity for you to just dedicate one day over the next 40 days prayer and fasting, and our goal is as a church that over the next 40 days, we'll have a few people each day um, praying. Right now, we're going through the book of Psalms, and we're not hitting every single psalm. There's 150 of them, so that would take half the year, but we are hitting a lot of them, and we've broken them up into four categories, four genres. Um, the, The first genre is creation, and these are psalms that are about God's greatness and His holiness and His magnificence. The second category is the category of fall. And this is where we find ourselves today. And the reality is, is that we are in a broken and fallen world. Can you agree with that? Amen. We are in a world that um, is fractured by sin and pride and selfishness. And the passage that we're in today is a man riding because we're living, we live in a world where there's a lot of corruption and injustice. And it's written by David. Now, David is one of the greatest kings in the entire Bible. And he's one of my favorite characters. First of all, he's one of my favorite characters because he's very likable. He's a warrior and a poet at the same time. Uh, He's just, he's like this awesome, mighty warrior, but he also has this heart for God. um, And he's not afraid to express his emotions. And as an emotional guy, I kind of like that, all right? Um, I also like David because... Uh, he is someone to model our life after. He's a a man of extreme faith. Many of you know the story of David and Goliath, where he defeated the great Philistine giant as just a little guy, um, just with a sling and and a rock, because he had faith that God would deliver his people. So he's a man that we should model our life after. He's also a man that we can relate to, because when you read the story of David, David ain't perfect, is he? You find out that he's an adulterer, that he's murdered people, he's a sinful dude, and you're like, wow, if God can love David, he could probably love me too. (laughs) And you can relate to him because he's a man who after he sins, he turns in repentance to God and God forgives him, and and we can get that. Um, And lastly, he's a guy that we should listen to. David is a guy we should listen to because David, though he was king, his life was not a cakewalk. There were always people hunting him and wanting to kill him, and and he faced a lot of corruption and injustice. Um, His first post in the kingdom was not when he was king, but there was another king named Saul, and he served Saul, and he was faithful to Saul, and he loved Saul, but then Saul got jealous of David and kept on trying to kill him. David had the opportunity to kill Saul twice, but did not because he trusted that God is the one who enacts justice, not us. And so David is a guy that we should listen to because he knows how to go through corruption and hardship and injustice. And he has several things to say to us through this psalm. But the big idea that he, he says to us is this. When you face injustice and corruption, you need to go to God with your anger. What do we do when we see corruption in this world? What do we do when it makes us angry? Go to God with your anger. Okay, we're going to break this up into three points. The first point is this um it should make us angry when we encounter real wickedness it is appropriate to be angry when you encounter real wickedness we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 for this uh for this one okay now buckle up because this is one of those psalms that is just like just full emotion and it kind of makes you squirm a little okay So it says, David is speaking, and he says this, Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your heart you devise wrongs, and your hands deal out violence on the earth. What he's doing is he's looking at other rulers. Some of your translations might say, instead of it saying, Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Some of your translations might say, You rulers. David is looking at other rulers, other people in authority, and he sees corruption. It's not only today that political rulers were corrupt. Political rulers have been corrupt for all of time since the fall. And and David is looking at this corruption. He's looking at injustice. And he's saying, do you you decree what is right? Do you judge correctly? And what's his answer in verse 2? no. In your hearts, you devise wrong, and in your hands, you dill out violence. Um, he's looking at, at these people who are in charge, and he's saying, you're supposed to, God has placed you in charge to care for people, but instead, you're taking advantage of people, and that should make us angry. When we see that kind of wickedness being exercised in this world, it should make us angry. Uh, David Uh, says, you deal out violence on the earth. That phrase is a phrase, it's kind of a pictorial phrase of somebody who is supposed to be dealing a a scale of justice, an equal scale of justice, but it's a weighted scale of injustice. And so the thing that comes to my mind is, have you guys seen the picture of Lady Injustice? I think we have a picture of it here. So Lady Injustice, this is a a popular statue and there's a blindfold over her eyes because it's meant to say that she's looking at all people equally and she, and she makes decisions not based on how people look um, and not discriminatory decisions. She's holding a scale scale is the idea that there's, there's going to be fairness in the judgments and then she's holding a sword and that's representing that she has the authority to enact vengeance and justice. And so, David is not seeing this when he looks at these other rulers. He's seeing Lady Injustice. And so I just want you to imagine the statue lifting up the the blindfold. And just imagine the statue holding the scale, but it's weighted and tipped to one side. So that there's corruption in the courts. And David, as a king who wants to care for God's people, is looking at this, and he's looking at other rulers, and he's saying, this is wrong." I'm seeing discrimination, I'm seeing corruption, I'm seeing the strong taking advantage of the weak, and it's making me angry. It's appropriate to get angry when you encounter real wickedness. Um, if these words, if I've always thought it'd be kind of cool to have a Bible that was printed in color according to mood. Mood. Like if you had, you know, you encounter the beautiful passages of the Bible. It's like rainbow. And then you get to like a calming passage, just like blue and purple. This would be painted in red. Just anger. And then he goes on to describe these people. He describes them in three ways. The first way he describes them is he says that they've been apart from God since birth. It says, verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. These people have no interest in God's truth. From birth, they've believed and speak lies. Verse 4 says they have venom like the venom of a serpent. So they're harmful. Not only do they speak lies, they're harming other people. Just like when you get bit by a rattlesnake, that will harm you. These people have venom. And, and what he's showing us in that is that there are, I know that we'd like to think that most people are naturally good. But the reality is, is that sin has so infected the hearts of humanity that there, that there is real wickedness in this world. And people really do seek to hurt other people. And then he says that they're stubborn, verse 5. It says, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or the cunning enchanter. So this is, if you can just picture, you know, the snake charmers, they play their little flute and the snakes come out of their basket and they're like, do this. Well, David is saying that these people are like a snake who uh, doesn't want to hear the flute. They come out and then they just bite the charmer. Now, uh, I watched a lot of, it was like a year ago. I just got caught up on YouTube watching snake charmers get bit. It was just like this end rolling thing. And so I get what he's talking about here. And um, he's saying in this context, God is the charmer and his laws are called to charm us and to lead us. But these people are stubborn and don't want to hear from God and they want to strike out against it. And David is looking at this and he's getting angry. It's appropriate to get angry. And so what he instructs us on is this, is that we, there are some things that we should look at in life and get angry about. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have to just be so happy and smiley all the time. Sometimes it means that you should get angry. Um, I've been thinking over the news role for the last uh, year. And I, there's just several things that I want to bring up that make me angry, and I think should make us angry. The first one is racism. Um, on the news in the last year, there's been a lot of just things of like KKK and white supremacist groups, and um, whether it's white hating on black people or black people hating on white people or Hispanic people or Asian people, whatever, There's there's been a lot of racism in the news. Have you seen this? You should... Look at that as a Christian, somebody who believes that we're made in the image of God and that all people are made in the image of God. And when we see racism and discrimination based on how people look or socioeconomic uh, discrimination, it should make us angry. We should not tolerate that. Another thing that makes us angry is just the murder murder of innocent people. Last year, Stephen Paddock uh, at the Vegas shooting uh, just sat up in a hotel and just poured uh, gunfire into a crowd, killing 58 people and injuring 422. That should make us angry. As Christians, we don't watch that and be like, oh, you know, God's good. He is good, but that should make us angry because he's good. It should make us angry. I hear, as a pastor, I hear cases of domestic abuse all the time. Uh, some of you are police officers and as I've talked to you, you say some of the worst cases that you have to show up to are the ones where children have been beaten by their parents. That should make us angry. I'm not a fool. I know the statistics, and I know that in any crowd this size of people, there's likely domestic abuse to be happening on an ongoing basis in this room. And that should make us angry. It should make us angry when we see the weak taking advantage by the strong. Have you heard of these calls? These calls where people, these uh, will call people and say, I need you to wire me money. And they would prey on elderly people and people who don't know better. And then they take all their money and they do fraud. That should make us angry. Some of you are at school. You're in middle school or high school. And you see just the, the bullies at school. Picking on um, the disabled and the weak. That should make us Angry. It should make us sad because if they're being mean, it's probably because somebody has been uh, perpetually mean to them, but it should also make us angry. Um, It should make us angry when we see the self-exalting and the self-righteous exalt themselves as if they're better than others. We see this right now in politics and we see it in churches. Churches. And the thing that made Jesus the most angry was when religious people started acting like they were better than others and they discriminated against them and it caused Jesus to get so mad that he braided a whip and drove people out of the temple and flipped over tables. That should make us angry. It should also make us angry when we see the continual cry for abortion and murder of innocent lives as well as the neglect of the poor and the elderly, and those who need continual care. God calls us as his people to to love and care for people from womb to tomb. And, um, And I speak about this sensitively because I know that some of you have had abortions and you've gone through that hell of that. And it hurts and you wonder if you can be forgiven. And the good news of the gospel is you can. There's no sin that you could ever commit. This is written by David who was a murderer. There's no sin that we could ever commit that God cannot forgive if we just turn to him in faith. But for those of us who've gone through that pain, we should know and it should make us even more angry when we see the continual cry for abortion and people crying out that it is appropriate and okay to take children's lives while they're in the womb. It should also make us angry when we see people not caring about the poor the, dis- the mentally disabled and the elderly. That should make us angry because those people, it doesn't matter if you're disabled or weak, you're still in the image of God. And so there's things that in this life that should make us angry. And the reason why it should make us angry is because all human evil is driven behind by a spiritual evil. What I want you to notice is there's two things in here. It's not a mistake that David uses the analogy of a snake. When he's talking about these wicked people, they're like snakes. He likens them to a snake. Why? Because the snake in the garden, the devil himself. And so David is is alluding to this evil and he's saying, this evil exists because behind human evil is a real spiritual and demonic evil. Behind all evil that we see, there's demonic temptation. There's demonic power. Uh, A few of the commentaries I read even said, this is why David says, do you decree what is right, you gods? Because he's, he's, he's alluding to the fact that this battle is not just a physical battle, but it's a spiritual battle where people claim to be God. And then there's spiritual, quote unquote, gods, demons driving the evil actions. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 6. It's going to be on the screen He says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When we see evil in this world, one of the things we should say to ourselves is demons are real. And God hates them. Behind all human evil is spiritual and demonic evil, and so what this just passage just calls us to do is it calls us to have a category for evil. Otherwise, if you don't have a category for evil, you're going to grow up in this world very confused. Um, now, I, I think that there uh, are two main voices that come at us a lot of times. There's, uh, some, some voices come at us and say we need to be angry all the time, and then others come at us and say that we shouldn't be angry at all. So, for example, politics say, you need to be angry at everything. Okay, it doesn't matter which political side you're on. All politics mostly are just like, be angry at everybody who disagrees with your opinion. On the other side, we have pop spirituality. And pop spirituality says, be angry at nothing. Like, let everybody have their opinion and live their lives and and just be angry at nothing. Just stuff that anger deep down inside and never bring it up again. But David here gives us an outlet where he says, don't be grounded in your opinions, but rather be so grounded in the goodness of God that when you see a violation of God's goodness and glory, that it makes you angry. This is the type of church that we want to be. We want to be the type of church that is known for being grounded in God's goodness. That when we see a violation of his goodness, a violation of his glory, we don't tolerate it and it makes us upset. And so what do we do when we get angry? It doesn't stop here. The next point and the big idea is we need to go to God with our anger. Look at what David does in verse 6. Oh, God, break the teeth in their mouths. Okay? So first of all, he goes to God. He goes to God with his emotion. That's the first place he goes. He doesn't go to his buddies. He doesn't pick up his phone and say, can you believe these people? He doesn't start gossiping and being a busybody. He goes to God. And it shows us the, the kind of relationship that God invites us to have with him. And in this, this is like pure, unfiltered passion in these words. Um, David is not speaking to God as, uh, as if he's on an interview trying to impress a future boss. David speaks to God as a friend. David speaks to God as as a child who, who, who he knows that the Father wants him to come venting to. Go to God with your emotion. And don't be afraid to be emotional with God. Sometimes we pray and we're like, okay, God, I just, like, we're so polite in our prayers. Well, that means you haven't really started praying yet. You're not praying until you can go to God as a friend in pure, unfiltered emotion and know that God is listening. Okay, then he goes to God with, with his, for vengeance. He says, break the teeth in their mouths. He doesn't say, he, he doesn't take vengeance into his own hands. This is important, okay? He doesn't say, let me break their teeth. He says, God, I'm seeing this injustice. I'm seeing this corruption you need to do something about it. That's very important. Because scripture calls us as a people to love our enemies and to show kindness to our enemies. But the only way we can do that is if we believe that there's a God who will enact justice. So David isn't trying to take justice into his own hands. He's releasing the justice where it rightly belongs into God's because only God is a good judge. And David, as a king, could have called the armies together. He could have done this. So this is what uh, Romans 12 says. It says this, um, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what David is doing here. Okay. Now, this gets into some of the really ugly parts of the passage that make us squirm. It says, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Um, Let them vanish like the waters that run away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. So the first thing that he is praying for when he's asking God to enact vengeance vengeance, is he's saying, God, render them powerless in their works. This is what he's getting at when he says, break their teeth. It's not a literal breaking of their teeth. It's... um, You know, when I was watching those YouTube videos of snake charmers getting bit, (laughs) um, I noticed something and it was a light bulb moment for me. After a snake would bite one of the charmers, they would grab the snake and they would rip out the fangs. And it was a way that they would render that snake powerless. And so what David is doing here is he's saying, render them powerless so that they can't inject their venom anymore into humanity. You see what I'm saying? And then he gets at it again. He says, When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. He's saying, Hey, look, and, and what he's showing us is their evil people are gonna keep shooting their arrows. But David is saying, make it be as if the arrows have no point, so they cannot penetrate or hurt or kill anybody. Render them powerless. And then the next part he says, he says, and help their existence come to a quick end. And, uh, and uh, help them to come to a quick end so that they can cease having a, a meaningful existence. And this is where it gets a little hard. It says in verse 8, let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Okay, I know if you watch snails, they don't actually dissolve into slime, but it looks like it. Like the chill, stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns when the green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. Um, That last section, he's talking about when they would light their fires to heat up their food, they would take a tumbleweed and put it under, and then they would light it, and the tumbleweed would blow up really quick, but it would just go quickly, and it wouldn't sustain heat. And David is basically saying, God, if they're not going to repent, if they're not going to stop their evil ways, then bring them to an end quickly. Like, don't let them continually uh, continue to have an existence where they can continue to be here and day after day, harm, hurt, And and enact their venom on people. Bring them to an end quickly. And so he goes to God with his emotion. He goes to God for vengeance. Now, let's be honest. This makes me feel very uncomfortable. By a show of hands, does it make anybody else feel uncomfortable? Like I read this and I'm like, jeez, this isn't the Bible? Gosh. Well, I think it makes me and I think it makes us uncomfortable for two reasons. Number one, Uh, I think this makes us uncomfortable, number one, because we're not well acquainted with suffering at the hands of evil men. Like, let's be honest, out here where we live, most of us live a posh, first world, suburban life. Like, you know, we're like worried about whether or not we can get the new car that we want. Or... We're, we're planning our vacations for the summer and something might fall through and we're like, oh my gosh, life is just so tough. Or like sometimes when we go on vacation and we get stuck on the runway for 45 minutes, we're complaining like it's the end of the world. First world problems, people. And sometimes we don't get passages like this because we're not well acquainted with suffering at the hands of evil men and women. Um... There's people, our brothers and sisters across the world, who do get this. Last week, I was meeting with a missionary from India, and he was telling me about some of the stuff going on in northern India with the radical Hindus. And they'll pull Christians out of their huts, and they'll beat them, and and they'll rape their daughters right in front of the parents, and then they'll kill the parents, so that the last thing they see is their daughters being raped. Like, that's suffering at the hands of evil men. There's people right now who are running for their life from ISIS, because ISIS is coming in and controlling things and and, and just enacting their corrupt uh, ways on them. And so I think that one of the reasons that we don't understand this is because we just don't know. We, we haven't been treated like this. And so what a psalm like this can do for us who hasn't experienced this is it can prepare us. And it can also inform us on how we ought to pray for those who are suffering. Okay, the second reason I think that we sometimes have a problem with this, is we're not well acquainted with the complete nature of God. We say things like, well, God is merciful. Yes, but he's also just. We say, God is love. The New Testament clearly says that. Yes, but it is unloving to let wickedness go unpunished. And so if we're going to be well acquainted with the full and complete nature of God, then we will more fully get this. So I just want to show you that this is God's nature from the beginning to end. God is on one hand merciful and on the other hand just. Okay, look at what God says in Exodus 34. Um, this is Moses is crying out to God and he, and he says, God, I, I just want you to show yourself to me. And this is what God does. And this is what God declares about himself in Exodus 34 says, so the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love, steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Amen? But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children to the third and fourth generation. And so here we see that God is loving. If you repent and turn to God, if you trust in God, it doesn't matter what you've done. You can be forgiven because God is a God of steadfast love. But if you refuse to turn to God, you will face his justice and wrath. Ezekiel 18:30, 32 through 30 says this. God says, "Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God. Repent and turn" From all your transgressions, less iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. And so here we see God just crying out and he's saying, I don't want you to die. I want to forgive you. I want to heal you. I want to help you. But you must repent. Because if you don't, you don't turn from your ways. If you choose to remain in your wickedness, then you will perish. You will die. Well, some people, I grew up uh, in the church, and a lot of people said, well, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. Have you heard this before? But the God of the New Testament is a God of love. Well, let's go to Jesus. This is what Jesus uh, says here. He says, um, yeah, he says, uh, they said to him, he will put those, I can't read that far, okay. Yeah. I had it written down different one. okay. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders has rejected has become the corning stone, cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing." And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the cornerstone. So if you believe in me and you trust in me, it's going to go well with you. But if you don't, the cornerstone is going to crush you. That's a statement of judgment. Um, Jesus also says in uh, Luke 13, 3-3, he says, No, I tell you, um, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So I'm just trying to show you that from the beginning to the end of the Bible, God is both a God who is loving and full of grace and mercy, but for those who do not turn to him, he's a God of wrath and judgment. And so it is appropriate for us to pray prayers like this. Um, These are called imprecatory prayers. Say imprecatory. These are prayers calling on God to act. Um, Whenever you pray the Lord's prayer, you're praying an imprecatory prayer. Why? Because when you begin at the beginning and say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When when is that going to be fully realized? When Jesus returns, it's going to be fully realized. And on that day, when Jesus returns, those who believe in him will be welcomed into paradise. And those who don't believe him will be sent to judgment. That's an imprecatory prayer. When we pray at the end of that prayer, deliver us from evil. Lead us not to temptation and deliver us from evil. How does God deliver us? From evil, how did God deliver Israel out of uh, slavery in Egypt? He delivered them through the Red Sea. He gave Pharaoh a chance to repent. But when Pharaoh did not, he slayed the whole army. So in order for there to be deliverance for those who trust in God, there's also an equal amount of justice for those who choose not to trust him. And so what this calls us to is it calls to go to God in your anger. Don't try to take justice into your own hands. Go to God. Trust him. You can love your enemies because you know that God has either died for them or will judge them. So then we get to our last point. So after we go to God, then what do we do? We need to have confidence that God will act. Verse 10, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. That's graphic. The righteous will rejoice. So here we have two types of people. He says there's righteous people and there's wicked people. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Whenever the Bible is talking about this about humans other than Christ, Christ is the only one who is righteous in and of himself. Amen, church? Everybody else, we have wickedness in our own heart. David recognizes this. It's interesting when David talks about these people being um, sinful from birth David in Psalm 51 says that he himself was sinful from birth. So there's a way where you should read Psalm 58 and it should be like looking in a mirror. And so David knows that he is righteous not based on his own merit or works, but based on faith. When you trust God and turn to God for forgiveness, he grants you righteousness. You're righteous by faith and faith alone. And so that, the only thing that distinguishes the righteous from the wicked are the righteous have faith and want to follow God, and the wicked have resisted faith and want to follow their own ways. That's the only difference. And so when David is praying this, he's not saying, well, the good people versus the bad people, okay? It's not like that. There is no good people. There's one good guy. His name is Jesus. He's saying those who have faith versus those who don't. And he's saying the confidence that we can have as people of faith, as those who are righteous by faith, is that we will bathe our feet in the blood of the wicked. Now, this is a context that we probably don't understand. But as a warrior, David gets this. Because he was a guy who fought in hand-to-hand combat. Okay, dudes, you'll probably like this. All right? So when you were fighting in hand-to-hand combat and you would slay your enemy, they would fall right there. And then what are you bathing in? What are you standing in? Their blood. And it was a symbol of victory. So we don't get the context, but we do get the concept. Let's put this picture on the screen of Muhammad Ali, of her sonny listen. (laughs) This is an iconic symbol of triumph. Standing over your enemy, okay? And so maybe have this in your mind when you read this part. And what this does is it shows us, okay, we as people of faith... Because of God's work, not ours, will stand in triumph over the enemy. We as people of faith, because of God's works, not as not ours, will stand in triumph over the enemy. Um, and I want you to notice what David says the righteous will rejoice. Not might. Will. We will rejoice when we see the vengeance of God. God will act when we go to Him. He will push back darkness. Um, Michael Reeves, who wrote the book, Rejoicing in Christ, said that when God created light and darkness day and night, every day the sun rises and pushes back darkness. He, He said that God is preaching to us every day that he will come one day and push back all darkness, just like the sun. It will happen. We must have confidence as his people that God will enact justice. And so it says, when he enacts justice, verse 11, mankind will say, surely there's a reward for the righteous. Surely there's a God who judges the earth. When God does enact justice, it will cause people to say two things. One, wow, there really is a God. And two, there's reward for belonging to him. Now, I think there's an already and not yet sense to this. Um, there's an already sense of this in the fact that this sometimes will happen in our lifetime. God will act in justice in your lifetime sometimes. And when that happens, people will look and say, wow, there really is a God. And it, there's reward for following him. So for a good example of that, you can see like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. Um, these people, uh, they sold some property to give to the church and they were trying to seek, um, they were trying to get credit and saying, wow, look at how generous we are because they told the church that they gave, um, the money they gave was the full amount of money that they received for their property, but it was only part of it. And what did God do to them in Acts chapter five? He struck them dead. And then it said, everybody feared. Or there was another king named Herod, and um, Herod said some stuff, and everybody started shouting, the voice of a God and not a man, the voice of a God and not a man. And then Herod's like, yeah, that sounds kind of nice. I like that. And then that moment, God struck him dead. And then everybody feared. And so there will be times in our life when we cry out to God to act, and he acts in our lifetime, and it will produce fear. People will be like, wow, there really is a God. And there's reward for following him. But there's also a future and eternal sense of this, that when Jesus comes back, he will enact final judgment. And on that day, as Paul says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day that is coming. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about the coming of Jesus Christ. At Jesus' first coming, he did not come to condemn the world, for the world was condemned already. But he came to die for the world and to save the world by dying for their sins. And right now we live in the age of grace, where God is giving the opportunity to anybody to turn to him. But if you do not, Jesus is coming again. And on that day, he will destroy evil and sin altogether. And for those who do not turn to him, there will be judgment. And when that judgment comes, all mankind... And all demons, all creatures will bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And so the question that you might be having is um, if God is so committed to getting rid of evil, why is he waiting? Why doesn't he just act now? Well, this is what Peter says in 2 Peter. He says this But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the only reason why Jesus is not coming back right now is because he's giving more people the opportunity to repent. But when the last person has repented, he will come back and all works will be exposed. And so as we step back, I want to give you just a couple points of final application. What do we do with Psalm 58 and others like it, like Psalm 35, even Psalm 139? Um, The first thing is we need to pray. Go to God with your anger. Pray. Pray. Secondly, you need to pray honestly. Um, There's real wickedness in the world. You don't need to filter your emotions when you go to God. Pray honestly with what you're upset about. Um, The third thing is you need to pray humbly. We need to be honest with ourselves and understand that the same poison that is in our enemies' hearts is in ours too. And the only thing that distinguishes us from them is that we are in Christ and Christ has forgiven us. So pray humbly. Don't fall into the trap of praying arrogantly as if you're awesome on your own, because you're not. We need to pray patiently, trusting if that God doesn't act in our lifetime on our timeline, which he just has this wonderful habit of not doing. It's because he's up to something and he's given people an opportunity to repent. And then lastly, we need to pray confidently, knowing that God will deliver his people and that all wrongs will be made right. It will happen. Not it might happen. It will happen. Amen? Amen. If you're not a Christian today, this was probably a little intense. And I'm not sorry for that. I don't think we need to apologize for the truths of the scriptures. Um, But I do beckon you to consider coming to Christ because what we just spoke about is real. And if you're feeling in your heart like this burning thing, like, man, I know I'm messed up. I, I know that I'm going to be on the other side of judgment, and I don't like that. Then come to Christ, for he was judged for you. You can be forgiven today. You can be made righteous today. And if you are a Christian, let this, as we're going into the next few months of prayer, be one of the things that invokes us to pray. Because we have a God who wants to hear from us, even on our bad days, not only on our good. Amen. God help us. Um, like you are so good. Like it's so cool that you are a God who wants to enter into the hard things of life, not just the happy things of life. You're a God who loves us. You're a God who cares for us. You're a God who. Um, you're a God who will enact vengeance. God, we don't have to fight our enemies or strike our enemies. We can be kind to them because we know that at the end of the day, you're going to take care of it. And your justice is far better than ours. Help us have this kind of confidence as a a church. And then also forgive us as a church where we feel like we need to sit in your seat and play your role. Like where we feel like we need to be the ones doing the work of exercising divine justice. That's not our job, God. Our job is to come to you. Help us to do that with boldness and confidence because you're gracious and good.